I know. I know. Go ahead. It's okay. Get it out of your system. I understand. This is one of those heavily reviled episodes, and with good reason. It's boring and dumb. But, uh... I, I can't give this lamentation status. Even with the new definitions, which we've been using since about mid-TNG and DS9, this doesn't qualify. Hell, if I compare this to the other episodes I've already given lamentation status, this isn't even on the same page. Just sort of my point, isn't it? This is just kind of here. It's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it screws up several things, but the problem really is that there's no... <sighs> I can't really say anything good about the episode except for a couple of scenes with flocks. And this episode... Some people like to defend this episode by pointing out that the ratings got a boost for this episode. And that's true. That is true. Um, have you seen the trailer for this episode? I wish I could do that, just kind of put it back here and show it to you, but you know how that goes. So uh, instead, I'm just going to say, go to YouTube right now and look up Night in Sick Bay trailer. <laughs> and that's probably why people came to see this episode. This is, I swear this is relevant. Right now, as I'm talking, my dad has just started texting. It's right there, his phone right there. I haven't responded to him because, you know, I'm in the middle of recording. But he's telling me about this random YouTuber he saw, which has over a million, five million views on his thing. And it's some guy who decided to pile up a bunch of pepperoni and then eat it. That's what we call a stunt. A stunt video. And, the, you know, obviously stunts do get attention. Right? It's pretty easy to understand why. Even if you're not the kind of person who's into that kind of five-second gratification cycle, you might look at that and be like, huh? And click it, because you're curious. Then you look at it and you're like, yeah, okay. Or you click it because you're like morbidly curious. Or you kick it because you're like, sure, I got five minutes to burn. Or whatever. That's how those things get five million views. That's how that system works and has always worked. The problem is whether or not the people stay. My business model, to put it bluntly, involves people wanting to be here tomorrow and the next day and the next year. That's kind of how I approach things. You know, I'm interested in long-term uh, patrons. And, you know, I, I, I no, no reference to Patreon, but again, in the old sense, like, like you know, Leonardo da Vinci or whatever. Not that I'm comparing myself to Leonardo da Vinci. It's just that came up in uh, Voyager, if you'll remember. He's like, my patron, you know. You, you guys tell me what to do. I do what you request of you, me. And I do the best I can to fulfill that. You know, that's, that's the, the relationship there. But that relies on people who aren't going to just show up and be like, hey, and then leave. Which is directly related to this episode. Because that's exactly what happened. The ratings got a fairly substantial bump and then plummeted after this episode. So many of the people who watched this were not patrons. They were people who were bored or who were interested or were curious or were morbidly curious. And they watched and they were like, oh, okay. And they didn't come back. Not only did they not come back, several of the people who had been regulars stopped being regulars after this little stunt. Now, this isn't to the same extent as the 5 million thing I just referenced, but this is in the same mentality, and it does suffer from the same problem. 
this is also the episode uh, after this or the episode after after this. I forget exactly. Please forgive me. Is the is the lowest point in Star Trek ratings history up to this date. It's never been this low, even across all of Voyager and all of Deep Space Nine, both of which had a fairly steady downcline in terms of overall viewership on Nielsen ratings, which, again, are, are garbage, but it's what we got. So I just point all that out because I actually personally know two people who quit the show with this episode. And that's, uh, I think, the second episode now. I've mentioned that I know people who quit the show with an episode. Don't worry, we got one more episode. Uh, coming forward, where I will also once again mention that people quit the show with that episode. That's just Enterprise in a nutshell, isn't it? See, here's the thing. This isn't a lamentation. It's not that bad. Look at this and compare it to Unexpected, to use an Enterprise example. Or compare it to Profit and Lace. Or Threshold, or Code of Honor. Or Star Trek Nemesis. This is This isn't even in the same category. At least not for me. The issue, though, is, well, <clears throat> this was a budget episode, which it shows, which is funny because they actually got an Emmy for, or maybe it was an Emmy nomination, I forget which, for the dog, actually, the, the model they built for the Beagle when it was submerged. That was actually a model, and, and of course it was, and it was really well done, actually, Devna props there. This is also a good time to mention that this episode was a direct consequence of the sex it up thing. This is why that trailer, if you've known it or decided to go watch it just now, is designed the way it is. Like I said, it's a ratings grab. It's a stunt, you know. So we need to sex it up more. Okay, okay. So the first thing we see is them in the decon chamber. And as they're in the decon chamber, they, as you know, all over the place. This might actually be, I'd say, the second or third worst exposition I've ever seen in Star Trek. Both parties just tell each other things they already know in order to get us up to date. The very existence of the captain's log was actually invented to be a quick and efficient, you know, exposition dump so that the people knew the premise walking into the episode. It also served the unintentional format of allowing people to kind of know which episode it is based on, you know, having already been aware of the series. Later on, they would start using it in different manners. Sometimes the captain's log is just to establish what they're doing, which has nothing to do with the episode, or where they're going, which has nothing to do with the episode. But nevertheless, that was the original intent. But here we just have bad exposition, okay? Then they find out that they need plasma injectors. Why? No, really. Literally the last episode was the repair station episode. I think it was, shoot. I, I had a scheduled bump here in my... Oh! Uh, yeah, no, I think it was. Hang on, just a second. I had to switch notebooks here. So this is actually a new notebook we're working with here. So yeah, we get to christen the new notebook with Night and Sick, but that's awesome. Uh, yep, no, okay. Just, just verifying. It was, in fact, last episode. Why do they need new plasma injectors? Now, <clears throat> we could probably try to loop our way out of this and try to make this make sense, but rather than even bother, let me ask a better question. Maybe needing these kinds of advanced hardware that is tricky and hard to get one that actually works as well with their systems, Tucker brings up that as a point, maybe you should go home to Earth for a resupply rather than trying to stay out here. No, I'm not going to let that go. 
That is basically the dilemma of the episode. The main plot centers around, we need this advanced bit of tech. We want to get it here, because if ours goes bad, we might not make it home at all. Also, by the way, a previous episode confirmed they're around 100 light years from Earth now. Um, which is, is in contrast to the 90 light years thing from... Uh, Ryza, so that's our first complaint here. But the second reason I bring that up is he mentions that they might get 10 light years on their current injector coil. Um, so if you're going through those that quickly, why are you this far away from a, a star base, a safe port? And don't give me that flying into the unknown thing. I, again, that doesn't fly here because you're it. This God, I'm sorry, this continues to, to aggravate me. The further they get away from Earth, the more it pisses me off, too. So, the cold open ends, but no, the dog, no! Now, at first I made fun of this, because really, that's your cold open, is the dog is sick. But, no. See, th something occurred to me, and I'm going to be giving this episode a lot of leeway in how stupid it is because of the fact that that's how Enterprise has been to date. This doesn't make this particularly enjoyable television, and Enterprise is still by far the worst Star Trek show I've seen. Reminder, haven't seen Discovery, Picard, or uh, Lower Decks yet. Lower Decks isn't even out yet. But having said all that, wouldn't it be interesting if they were willing to kill off Porthos? Hear me out for a second. So imagine for a moment that this is a good show, and in the consequence of making this a good show, they are willing to change the status quo as needed in order to service the story. Now, killing off a main character is hard to do unless you have serious financial backing, because there's various rights and, well, financial issues with doing so, right? If you have a main character, like Archer, and then you kill him off, well, now Scott Bakula is now out, and you've just paid him a ton of money to be a main character, because you have to pay him a certain amount of money to be a main character, and now you've got to pay another person to be a main character. And while that is doable, basically you only do that if you already have the financial backing and you're doing the show in order to keep riding the wave. Remember, that's not where Star Trek's at at this point in history. And frankly, Star Trek has never been willing to do that, not counting the three shows I haven't seen yet. So... You can't kill off a main character. One of the things that I learned as a GM, uh, back when I used to GM fairly frequently, is that while you can kill off your players, you need to be really careful about that, especially since not every player is going to be okay with that. Some players, if you killed off their character, they just quit. They're done. Because they invested so much of themselves into that character that they don't want to start over fresh. Some characters, some players are fine with re you know, restarting. Some players actively want to. You know, it, it depends on the individual. But if you get someone who doesn't want to have their character die, and no, no judgment, obviously, you need to figure out some other way to have consequence. If they screw up and things go really badly, you need to do something to show that. There needs to be some consequence, otherwise it just kind of deflates. Like, say, well, you can't kill off um, Zeiss, who's playing Archer, but you can kill off his dog. And considering the fact that Archer obviously has a very strong connection to his dog, to, to uh, Porthos, that could actually be a significant blow and be the kind of thing that would still be mentioned and come up in his attitude in, for several episodes, if not the rest of the season. I would bring that up in season three, for God's sakes. Just food for thought.
Anyways, so so we need to find these injectors. I'm, I've already commented on how you know we should go back home, but let's move on from that. This is also when we find out that he's a trained diplomat, which I've actually made fun of before. Sure he is. <laughs> no, no, no. Archer is here because he was politically connected. I know that's headcanon, but come on. This then leads to Porthos's immune system being gone because of the disease, which is why he's in isolation. And... Alright, let's, let's get... Uh... Let's get two things out of the way, first of all. Scott Bakula does not seem to know how to act upset properly. I, I hate to keep ragging on the man's acting talents, but he just doesn't sell me. I, I, there's a disconnect. Intellectually, I can acknowledge what's going on, and if I close my eyes, remove the actors and remove the acting, and just look at the lines on paper, I can see the drama of the episode. But when I actually watch the episode, I don't feel it for a millisecond. And a lot of that's because Bakula just does not seem to know how to act upset. He knows how to glare... And he does that a lot this episode. He knows how to raise his voice and to seem like he's being angry. And he knows how to be contrite, which he does towards the end of the episode. But that's it. So I don't actually buy the fact that he's upset about Porthos, even though he should be, and by all accounts he is. That's and I've talked about this a lot when it comes to fiction, because sometimes the performance just isn't there, you know? So you can intellectually cognate what's going on, but there's no emotional connection because it's not being well presented. You know, a good story that's badly presented is a sadly fairly common problem when it comes to fiction. I'm getting off topic. So, uh, the second thing I wanted to point out, you know, Archer is terrible. Professionally, personally, nationally. Believe it or not, this isn't me ragging. Although, as I've said, Archer is my biggest complaint about this show. But that's just from a personal preference perspective. The problem here, really, is the studio executives. See, the thing is, the show has been consistently portraying Archer as a bumbling, inept moron who has no idea what he's doing. I'm, I'm being exaggerative. I shouldn't do that. He is incompetent. He does not know what he's doing professionally. He does not know how to connect to people personally. He's not a good leader. He's not a good captain. He's not a good diplomat. He is not good at representing his nation or the nations of his allies. He kind of sucks at his job. And by kind of, I mean he is terrible at his job. And you know what? I'm with that. I like that. Because he's Starfleet's first NX-01 deep space captain. And he is part of a political agenda by EarthGov in order to try and push the idea that they should be able to start doing more fleet maneuvering, get more ships out there, and be part of this kind of extended operation more in order to get out from the umbrella of the Vulcans. This is a political ploy. That's why Archer is in charge and why Archer is out here. Here's the catch. As I already mentioned, and I've done further research since then, and I've found even more evidence of this, there was a mandate from the executives, ruin everything, which basically said, Archer can do no wrong. It's the Janeway thing I was making fun of earlier, but I didn't realize how accurate I was about that. He has to be right, and everyone has to be lockstep with him. This is why so many people are loyal to Archer, even though he hasn't earned that loyalty. I would say there's only two people he's connected with at all. Tucker, who he doesn't have good chemistry with, but they have a pre-existing relationship, and... Oh, sorry. And, that's my dad again. And to Paul, 
and they spent a whole season trying to make the two of those get closer together. I still don't buy it, to be honest with you, and I will not, I, I, I sincerely doubt I will buy it until we get to season three or four, but at least there has been a movement towards the two actually becoming closer professionally and, and uh, as friends. Not sexually, because that's stupid, but <laughs> that's it. Now, I bring all this up because if not for the fact that there was a literal studio mandate that says that, yeah, no, this is not what... I'm... Basically, the whole Archer's Incompetent thing is actually headcanon because it was clearly not the intent of the creators. And if you have a character who is, who is pathetically incompetent at their job, who is only in position because of a political ploy by your nation against another nation, and none of that is actually intentional... We officially have an issue. I mean, there are plenty of fictional works where someone has just kind of stumbled into a good idea by accident, and then, you know, fans latched onto it, and then they were like, oh, that's a good idea, and they kind of ran with it. And I think that is eventually what they will do with Enterprise. I think once we have our first creative staff changeover, which will happen when we get to season three, that they will be like, oh, let's actually make that real. But the problem is it's not real now. And I know that because I've looked into the behind the scenes of this show. I know, I know, death of the author and all that, but you can see why I'm not willing to give the episode credit for something it did on accident. Or the show for something it does on accident. And, final point, I hate to keep racking on uh, Scott Bakula, but he doesn't sell that to me at all. He doesn't sell the captain who is right. Uh, Kate Mulgrew, at least, was a talented enough actress to kind of get across that certainty and confidence even if it led to an inconsistent character portrayal. And he doesn't have the ability to portray the incompetent character with the charisma necessary to make that character likable. Because Archer, to me, is extremely unlikable, especially in this episode. So what we have here is someone who is not likable to me and who is not competent. And so what we have is a bad portrayal of an unintentionally interesting character This is, by the way, if you're wondering, this is why uh, you're coming to my show, because this is the kind of stuff I'm going to say. I'm not going to say Archer sucks, because that doesn't get across the information. Instead, I spend ten minutes trying to discuss the specifics of the whys and the wherefores of exactly why and how he sucks. All of this is a lead-up to say one other thing. This, this is when I would kick Archer out of the captain's seat, at the absolute latest. I know I've posited that idea before. But this could very easily be a final straw camel kind of a situation. To Paul and Tucker, who I remind you are both against him on this point, are like, look, John, um, you're compromised. You're not doing your job right. You haven't been doing your job right. You need to step down. And Archer's like, but... And they're like, hang on. Let's not tell EarthGov. What do you mean? Well, we can't. If we tell Starfleet that you are stepping down so that a Vulcan can take charge, that completely torpedoes the whole political agenda thing. And we do not, and that'll just lead to the entire mission being cut off. So we need to keep up appearances, but you need to stop being in charge of this ship. And thus, the next several, several episodes would involve that new change to dynamic. The Captain Archer serving under T'Pol. And basically, Archer, T'Pol, and Trip would effectively form, for lack of a better term, a council. 
which would actually be running the ship, you know, dividing up uh, uh, responsibilities. God, I can't think of the word. Dividing up responsibilities and priorities so that they can all kind of keep working and still keeping Archer in the command loop because to Paul could make a comment, you know, maybe you someday might become a good captain. You just don't have the experience or the seasoning necessary. And Tucker's like, yeah, I'm all in favor of that. You know, we'll give him a shot. You'll get there someday, Captain. Oh, <clears throat> Captain. And have Archer just kind of look down like... And this is a huge blow to him. Huge blow to his pride. Huge blow to his certainty. And so him digging his way back out of that could again become a sub-arc. There's only two huge problems with this. One, the executives, who demanded that everyone be lockstep with Archer and that he's always right. And the other problem is uh, the executives, who... <laughs> Who um who also demanded that we shoot? I actually lost it. I lost it in the middle of my joke. There's there is another thing the executives demanded. Oh, the executives demanded uh, less story arcs, more episodic. So because of those two mandates, creatively, it's not really an option on the table. I have to admit, if I was in charge of this show and I was staring at what I was staring at here, I'd probably just quit. And sadly enough, that's actually what a lot of people did. What's really sad about that is the executives lessened their mandates substantially when it came to season three and four because the the decision had effectively already been made to pull the plug by then, so do whatever, we don't care. And all of a sudden the show got substantially better. I'm sorry, I, I don't even mean, to, even that is being derogatory. Executive meddling is not always a bad thing. In fact, it can actually be a very good thing. It's just percentage-wise, it's usually a bad thing. And most of the time it comes up when it, with race to my show. I, I'm talking about executives mess, messing everything up. What would you do? What would you do? Archer has to be right, and everyone has to be lockstep with him, and it needs to be more episodic. So what, what would you do? Real question. Now, forgive me for going on that lengthy diatribe, but that was the thing that has really b been bothering me about the show in general, but especially this episode. This episode pulled that right up into the main text and shoved it right into my face. And that was the majority of what I had to talk about in this episode. So let's just run through the episode itself relatively quickly here. So, let's see. Why did he bring a dog? I'm never letting this go. The episode makes a point like five times to mention how he sent the data on Porthos to them, and they were like, yeah, it's cool. Or rather, they didn't respond, which is actually the accurate statement. So he says it's their fault. They uh, Naturally, most viewers of Star Trek that I've ever talked to, with literally only one exception, has said this is his fault for bringing a dog. Here's the catch. Uh, I think the answer is both are at fault. I think if they had done their due diligence and, or just at the very least said no freaking animals, this wouldn't be an issue. Or at least not as much of one. I also think that if Archer had a brain and was a competent command, I'm sorry, I'm being derogatory. I think if Archer was actually competent and actually thought about it for five seconds, he would have been like, oh, you know what, you're right, I shouldn't take Porthos for this. I'll wait till the next planet, uh, get him some air there. Now I know what you're thinking. Uh, well, no, you're probably not thinking that, statistically speaking. But one of the arguments I've heard is that there's nothing wrong with bringing a dog to a diplomatic affair. And you know what? You're actually absolutely right. What there is something wrong is bringing a dog to a diplomatic affair with the Kritassans. You know, the guys from Voxola, the super uppity guys who 
are apparently upset at us again, even though Travis gave them a legitimate apology last time. But maybe they're just upset because they never got one from Archer. Because they never did, it's worth noting, until this episode. Um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe not bring the dog to these people. Now, one thing I can hear you saying in the comments section right now is, Lore, you're dumb and stupid. And you drink bottled water. What is wrong with you? If I don't have at least one comment saying that, I'm going to be upset. You know why I drink bottled water? It helps me keep track. I actually have a filter on the tap. Um, it's And I don't reuse these because crap plastic. But this, I need to drink uh, five of these a day to maintain my particular need for water. So this is a good way to keep track, because staying hydrated while sitting here talking for eight hours a day is actually harder to do than it sounds. I can hear you saying, Lord, you're the guy who is constantly arguing that the Federation are way too appeasy, that they do the bend over backwards, please walk all over me approach to diplomacy, and you dislike that. And you are absolutely right, because that's not diplomacy, that's bootlicking. That's not actually being diplomatic. Diplomatic is give and take. Diplomatic is finding middle ground. Diplomatic is negotiating, not Yes, sir, whatever, sir, please may I have another, sir. However, this is a unique situation because they're stupid, <clears throat> 90 plus light years away from resupply, and they're stupid <clears throat> because they refuse to go back and resupply, and that's a critical part they need, which they somehow didn't get previous episode because <clears throat> more episodic episodes. So because of the very unique situation of needing the part, stupidity, and lack of continuity, they need this part. N need. Not, not just want, not just it'd be nice. This is a mandate, right? I'm sorry, but when it, when it gets to, I've said this so many times, when it comes to extremes, the usual rules go out the window. If they had a thing where their life support was going to malfunction and they needed a part for it and they needed to bend over backward and lick boot to get it, then they should because they need that. Now, that doesn't apply universally. One second, that was my door. Sorry about that. If it's okay with you, I'm just going to leave that in, because editing out these little things is actually more tedious than you think. Maybe I'll cut it out. I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> it was a package. I needed to go sign for it. <sighs> I had to carry it in. It was kind of heavy. So now I'm a little out of breath. That's always fun. <sighs> there are exceptions. Some, like, let's say the Klingons have something you need, or the Romulans, or the Ferengi. Maybe don't bend over backwards in those cases, right? 
the Klingons wouldn't respect you for it. The Romulans would would screw you over for it and take you as much as they can. The Ferengi would kind of do a combination of both. They would give you something you don't actually need, which doesn't actually work, and then they'd charge you through the nose for it. So you can see how even even in this circumstance, it still doesn't apply you know unilaterally. It is only in these exact circumstances that I think this applies with these people and their customs and their willingness to help. That's it. If if this was any other race, we'd have to reevaluate. But with this race, with these three exceptions, we I I think Archer should just uh, grin and bear it. And I do. I, I think that is pretty much exactly what should happen here. He doesn't for quite a while because he's, well, because he's irritable, okay, and because he brought his dog down, okay. Now, what's interesting about this is he finds out very early that his dog is sick, that Porthos is going, is, is his immune system isn't working. Which is roughly along the lines of, oh god, they're being eaten alive by termites, in terms of medical uh, dangers, because anything could cause issues when your immune system just isn't working. Uh, back when I was deathly ill because of the kidney issues, my immune system wasn't working. And some of you who've been with me that long may remember that I got sick often in many ways, and I stayed sick long because my immune system wasn't working. Honestly, it's actually a minor miracle that I am still here talking to you right now because of that. And my immune system was only compromised. Porthos is gone. That's why he's in the isolation chamber. So, what I'm trying to say is... I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm kind of with Archer here. Hear me out. Hear me out. Because he's irrational. He's actually irrational. He is rantingly angry and has no idea how to even cope with what's going on. He hasn't had a lot of sleep. He's already stressed and strained. He's dealing with the jackass race, although, honestly, there are worse races than the Cretacens. But still, they're jackasses. And on top of all of that, on top of all that crap, his dog's dying. So, yeah. I'm actually kind of with it. I, I say I'm with him. That's not really quite accurate. I'm with this portrayal, uh, this idea, which Spacula doesn't do a very good job of portraying. And to really emphasize this, I've heard some people use this as a way of mentioning how stupid this episode is, but actually I think this is the opposite. This is actually the episode being well-written. It's still del irritating, and deliberately irritating is still irritating. You know, I don't like this episode, and I don't want anyone to say otherwise. But, <clears throat> did you apologize for whatever it is we did wrong? Fast forward about 20 seconds. How the hell do you get off conveying my sincere apologies? That's the same conversation, with, with only a few seconds in between those two lines. <laughs> so, uh, he, that's also when he says, I'll be the one watering their Alvera trees. And then he goes straight to sickbay and just stays in sickbay. Because that's what he's really thinking about. Here's the catch. Uh, at one point, he is accused of caring more about his dog than his ship. And that's true. He does care about his dog more than his ship. Whether that's right or wrong or good or bad, that's up to you. I would say that definitively makes him a bad captain, but I think I've trod that ground well enough at this point. 
But this episode demonstrates that is true. The moment Porthos is fine, the moment they find out that Porthos is going to be okay, he chills completely, he becomes far more relaxed, he gets apologetic, contrite, I mentioned that earlier, he apologizes to multiple people, and he goes down and does the ceremony no problem. Because now the thing that he really cares about is no longer a dilemma, and he can focus on his job. And again, no real judgment if it was deliberate, if it was part of the narrative, if it wasn't for the fact that I know that executives have basically said this is not true. <sighs> you see why this bothers me so much? This could have been part of a major character arc. Instead, it's just aggravating. Anyways. So we got to the exercise scene. By the way, fun fact, uh, there's a lot of problems with doing exercises during a cut. You notice there's a lot of edits and a lot of cuts back and forth between the two. And you'll notice they don't, despite the fact that they keep raising the speed on the thing, they don't actually run faster. They just get a little more panting at certain points. And they're probably doing that because, like seriously, you ever just try to do this for a while? I'm not going to do it because then I will actually have this problem. And you start having to talk like this a bit. Now try acting while you're doing that. So they use, they use several common tricks in order to make it work. I, I, I know exactly what I would do. I would just uh, focus on Jolene Blaylock, have her do the jogging, and be like, all right, here's your lines. Hit one, beat, finish, pump the thing, hit the next beat, pump the thing, hit the next beat, pump the thing. And basically do all her lines and all her shots in one sequence so that by the end she's a little winded, but she sounds like you know it doesn't really start getting to her. Then cut his lines then do a third sequence of shots of the both of them doing a couple of the lines, in like specific lines I pick, which which they'd be repeating effectively. But this way we can splice uh, shots of him, shots of her, and shots of both together to make it look like they've been doing this exercise thing this whole time and making it, you know, increasing the uh, speed on the thing the whole time when none of that is true. I, I hate to talk about the technical aspect, but it, it's actually a surprisingly well done scene, so credit where credit is due. Oh, we also get to see Phlox being gross for a bit, uh, ch chipping his toenails, which is gross, and then the tongue thing. Of all the things I remember about Phlox, that stuck with me the longest. I even made fun of it when I was over on Lord Reloaded's channel when we were uh, doing the Star Trek Adventures thing. That's how much that stuck with me. So, I mentioned the disconnect with the drama. This is where I point that out in my notes, and how the, the acting doesn't really work, and I pointed that out in my notes. Um... Then the episode uh, starts to be get actually bad. Up until now, it's mostly just been kind of... Okay. Then the episode suddenly decides to be a comedy. This is actually probably my biggest issue with this episode in particular. I can't pick a lane. It is possible to do serious drama and comedy and quirky and horror and all sorts of other tones in the same mix, in the same work. But it is hard as hell to do. That's why most works just pick a lane and decide to be a serious drama. Is this a serious medical drama with regards to Porthos? Is this a serious character piece with regards to Archer? Is this a lighthearted comedy with physical comedy and ha-ha sex? It can't decide between the three, and it shifts so crudely between them that I'm just not feeling any of it. Because, yeah, we got to sex it up. So... <clears throat> First, the bat gets free. Actually, first he mentioned sexual tension, and then it's just kind of dropped. Then the bat gets free, and for three minutes and 50 seconds, I counted, we just have physical comedy in the episode. That may not sound like a long period of time, and it kind of isn't, but 
Keep in mind that almost a tenth of the episode is devoted towards them trying to catch a bat, while whimsical music plays. Hoshi just casually grabs it because, you know, she's awesome. And then we cut to the funeral scene. And it drifts into hand-holding and narration and the decon chamber. And, of course, T'Pol is nude, or at least seemingly nude. And we got to have more sexy, and Phlox is narrating them. Yep, okay, this is all really stupid. It is my opinion that this is juvenile. I don't oppose sexy in Star Trek. I don't oppose romance in fiction. I oppose this kind of nonsense. The next thing that happens, because they're trying to merge their three lanes together, is he has a Freudian slip. I'm doing the breast I can. Then I need you to send me down your lips. Then, when they start doing the actual surgery on Porthos, uh, Archer starts distracting Phlox by talking about sexual tension that he's having with Paul, which, by the way, came from nowhere and goes nowhere. I know you're going to point out a, an episode in Season 3. I know you are. But everyone involved agreed that was a really dumb idea and just decided to piece out of that, and that's why it never really shows up again. A couple of notes. I'm basically done. They do the surgery. He does the apology. There's an incredibly awkward scene where T'Pol basically says, no, we're not attracted to each other. But I'm going to say it in a way that implies that we are because we need to sex this up because the executives demand it. And then Arch is like, no, no, we're definitely not attracted because executives. <laughs> it's a really awkward scene. It's actually probably the worst scene of the whole episode for me. Even more than the physical comedy or the ridiculous, uh, as you know, at the beginning. But we do have two good tidbits. Um, one is not a good tidbit, I just realized. I've got three last things to talk about. I actually have something over here. Don't I, too. I already write that down? Yep, okay. So, first of all, he mentions he's down to his last lizard, but we need the pituitary gland in order to put it into Porthos, so we'll make this work. Okay. Um, you know how I mentioned the problem with resupply? How is Phlox resupplying his menagerie? since he uses these creatures and these bugs and these whatevers in order to heal people. But there's obvious issues with that, right? Once again, it would be nice if they would make a trip back to Earth to get a restock. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking too much like a quartermaster, but resupply should be a really big issue. <sighs> kind of like it should have been on Voyager. Boy. The, the, Voyager just casts such a shadow on Enterprise. It's so strange, isn't it? Anyways, I mentioned two good points. First, Archer gets down, and he gives his only good performance in the whole episode, where he really talks about uh, an ex-girlfriend of his. And, and the mother, her mother, had a beagle. And even after they broke up, he kept in contact with the mother. And when the, uh, the mother's beagle was Prego, he was the first person she called. And... He, that was Porthos, is, is the, the baby beagle that he got, and he's been with Porthos since Porthos was basically a, new, a, a newborn. Six weeks, which is you know pretty usual acclimation thing for them to no longer require their mother. So, pretty much the moment it was possible for him to adopt Porthos, he adopted Porthos. It's just 
interesting and it's a good it's a good little thing and he does a good job of telling it the second is actually with flocks flocks talks about biology and about physiology he talks about how they keep pets around to eat them which makes sense because again everything we've heard about the denobulans tends to lean more towards them being more focused on survival biological concerns rather than intangible uh, living kind of concerns right Again, no judgment. It's part of their culture, and it's part of their alien nature. It helps to distinguish the nobles. I'm with it. Um, so, you know, I, I see him talking about the pet thing, and I see him talking about his, you know, his multiple wives, his multiple children. It's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff the way he shares it, about how he misses them, even, even the two sons he doesn't really see eye to eye with. And it was just nice to see that little bit of characterization for flocks if we didn't get much anything else. And that's all I got through this episode. It's blah and badly written, and then it gets facepalming. Still not a lamentation. And if that doesn't describe lamentations for you, I got nothing. What do you think? Say say something in the comments below. and I, I, I'm not going to do a lower reloaded joke. What I want to know is what would you do? I already asked that, but I do want to know what, what you would do with this one. Especially if you had those executive mandates staring down your, your, your throat. <sighs> I hope you've enjoyed, guys. I'll see you next time.